Hi, this is Pastor Mike Gordon, and welcome to Bethel Brandon's Sunday Message. For more information about this podcast and more resources, visit us at BethelBrandon.ca. Hey, it's not, I can't remember the last time... Um, Valentine's was on a Sunday. Obviously, it has been throughout history, but I just can't remember when recently. Hopefully, you enjoyed that uh, uh, video, and uh, hopefully, there might be one or two of you who might be able to get into a restaurant to take uh, your, your spouse out and have a, a good meal. We, we kind of have a bit of an opening in terms of our pandemic uh, restrictions, and, and that means that hopefully, over the next few weeks, we might be able to have some uh, in-person participation as well as our online, and, and you know, although it's nice being able to do this, I'm kind of, it's kind kind of be nice to have you here with me on a, a Sunday morning, so I'm kind of looking forward to that. In the meantime, hopefully you have uh, enrolled or became part of Real to Real Film Festival, which is everything online streaming, and, uh, and uh, check out the website for things like that. And so, um, hey, it's cold out, and uh, we're trusting that God is going to minister and move. I, I got a series that I am working on, and this series kind of came, like I have like a little rough notes uh, file uh, on my computer and it just says sermon notes or rough sermons and, and there are ideas and times when God has spoken to my heart and I just wrote it down and just kind of put it there. And this has kind of been here for a number of years because I remember uh, a number of years ago I was in a, a chapel uh, as I was pastoring in another location at that time and I remember that distinctly being in the chapel and praying, and it was, it was one of those times where it was more like tarrying than praying. Uh, basically what was happening was that I knew that God was trying to get something through to me, and I had to keep myself quiet, and I had to sit and, and just kind of be alone in, in the sanctuary, in the chapel by myself, and I realized that there was this hunger that I had for revival, and I think we all have a hunger for revival, for God to move in a special way, for God to move in a sovereign way to, you know, where God just shows up. And, and I remember continually praying and, and being so hungry and desires for that to happen. But after a couple of hours in the sanctuary, I clearly got this message which said this, before there needs to be a revival, there needs to be a return. There needs to be that point where we begin to come back to that place where God can actually move in our life. And from that came some of the thoughts that I'm going to be talking over the next um, uh, number of weeks, the, the journey back. See, the thing is, we are all on a journey. And in that process, there is a proneness that we have to wander. And the journey back is that process of a God who absolutely loves us and pursues us continually tries to draw us back that journey to where to where he can actually use and minister in our lives and hey the whole bible if you read it is a story of a journey back that there was a place where where god had intended for us to be and all of a sudden we have faded away and god moves and he intervenes and uh, you read in in john chapter 21 peter messes up and and as as jesus talks to him it's kind of his process to bring him back to restore him you just go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and, and it was Nathan that sits down with David, who was wayward in his ways, and says, no, you're the man. God's got to move, and it was a, a process of, to pull David back to the heart of God. 
You read Genesis chapter 32 and, and uh, Jacob is about to meet his brother and all of a sudden this angel shows up and begins to wrestle with them. And, and uh, it was a process where God all of a sudden is pulling us to, to call us back uh, to him. To pull us back that what we'll call the comeback journey. And I wanted to start by kind of talking about the spiritual comeback as opposed to uh, the spiritual return because that word comeback means something, doesn't it? There's something that comes on in, in the North American soul when they hear the word comeback. Something about the fact that, that we were down and we were out and, and somehow victory is, is snatched through the mouth of, of defeat and there's, there's this kind of optimism that we have that it's never really over until it's over and we kind of see it time and time again overcoming insurmountable odds and, and that never give up attitude and that unquenchable optimism. Um, I grew up about a half an hour away from Buffalo, New York. And, uh, and they have a sports team there, the Buffalo Bills. And um, I remember often hearing about what was called the comeback. And it was a, a time that happened, it's probably at least 30 years ago that it had taken place where a backup quarterback who was a Christian fellow named Frank Reich all of a sudden comes in in the second half where there's teams about 30 points down and, and miraculous they come back. And, and if you hear about the story in Buffalo, there were a million people at that game. The, the stadium that can only hold around 80,000 had a million people for some reason there that day because all of them kind of say, oh yeah, I was there. I remember distinctly being there. Well, I remember that the that at halftime the, the stadium was empty and people were clamoring to get back in. Uh, but there's something about the comeback. A couple years later, they were in the place where they were in the lead and the last play of the game, uh, they lost it. The comeback. And we should know about the comeback. The comeback is something which is familiar for us as Christians because Jesus' resurrection is the ultimate comeback story, don't you think? And so... God is never out of reach. And with God, nothing is impossible. And so the question I have as we, we kind of get into the nuts and bolts of this series, if you give me a little while, is this. I believe that there is continually a spiritual comeback in one way or another um, in our lives. And uh, I'm not too sure uh, who is watching and uh, to whom this reaches out to. But you might be watching, and I'm hoping that there are people who are watching who don't even know God or are at the point where they're just trying to figure things out. And you just don't know God at all, and you're just wanting to know what it's all about. Or maybe you are here uh, listening, or you are kind of joining in uh, on the service today, and, and at one point you did know God. But if you were to be honest, you'd say, really, I'm not really serving Jesus at this particular Point, or you might be able to be here and you'll be saying, well, I won't go as far to say that I'm not really serving Jesus, but if you were to take my life practically, there really isn't much of a difference between um, who I am as a Christian and, and who my friends and neighbors are who aren't really serving the Lord, or, or maybe you can describe your life as a daily stumble. Um, sometimes that's how I describe my life, the daily stumble. Yeah, I'm going to serve God, and I'm trying to serve God, but I just seem to be falling into the same trap time and time again. And still, 
There's others who are out there and you are in a routine and, and you could say that, yeah, I'm serving the Lord. But there was a time when I was, when for some reason it seems like maybe I lost my first love or I'm not in the place where I need to be. And, and maybe it's the fact that we haven't been able to gather together and there's a whole bunch of mixed feelings. And or maybe you're just here and you are serving God, but you realize this fact, that I'm never, ever going to get to the place where I arrive until I make it into heaven. And so... It basically asks a question for you today, and it is this. Where are you on your most important journey? Because of all the things that we'll be talking about over the next couple of weeks in terms of journey back, the most important one is this one. Um, Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, says something which I thought was interesting in, in 2 Timothy, sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. He says, physical training has some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. You need to keep in shape. We need to be taking care of the physical things. But ultimately, the most important thing is the spiritual thing because it is the thing that will last forever. Um, as I got up today, around 6.30 in the morning, uh, I got to, to come to drive to the church to go over my notes to pray and to seek the Lord and, and make sure that I'm ready to come and speak to you. But at 6.30 in the morning, as I was driving in minus 38 degree temperature, I saw a jogger. I saw somebody running. I don't know whether it was a male or whether it was a female because there was so much clothing, I couldn't tell the difference between one or the other. And uh, they had to jog on the road because it was too icy on the sidewalk. And I began to say to myself, man, that is absolutely incredible. And sir, ma'am, if that is you that, that you're watching, once you get out of the hospital, I salute you. Uh, basically because I'm thinking maybe your, your lungs might have some frostbite or something like that. Whatever the case is, boy. There are some people who are dedicated to physical fitness, like this individual that is there. Ultimately, the most important thing is going to be the, the spiritual journey back, the spiritual comeback. And there is not a better story in the gospel than Luke chapter 15 to talk about that. Now, if there were people in the auditorium or a, a crowd in the auditorium, I'd say, have you not heard of the parable of the prodigal son? And I'd have a whole bunch of people waving at me. But let's go to it. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. You might have your favorite version, or you might have your Bible before you as you're at the coffee table this morning. But I do have it on PowerPoint, but it's better to read uh, from your, your, perhaps your own device or from your own Bible. It says this. Luke 15, verse 11 starts, and it says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth on wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field, fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll go out 
I, or I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And you gave, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when his, his, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But uh, we uh, had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That's an incredible story. I, I would imagine that there are some people who uh, regularly attend a church service who have heard and have read that passage of scripture uh, at least a dozen times or more. As I was doing some study, there was one commentator which basically called this the crown and flower of all parables. And I would and I would kind of agree with that. We're kind of taken back and captured by the fa- the story of a father's love for the the wayward son. And, and as you look at this passage of scriptures, many times in the Bible, they will emphasize something. When it's important, they will say it in three different ways. And in this case, it was the case as well. And in Luke chapter 15, he talks about the lost sheep. Then he talks about the lost coin. And then finally, the lost son. And he goes from 10 or 100 to 10 to 1. Kind of interesting, some of the things in the dynamics that were taking place as you look at the story. Now, the context, if you want to know what this story is about, he tells this story after the Pharisees are angry with him because he's hanging around sinners. They don't like that fact. They, they think that he's polluting his soul by, by hanging around unrighteous people. And this is how this story comes out. This is the platform on which this story is told. And, and um, it represents certain things. It has so many different representations when you take a look at this, this story. Um, I think the mistake we make with this story is that when we think of this story and we think of the prodigal son, we think of someone else. Oh, yeah, that's like this individual. Huh? That's like that individual. When really, what we need to do is take a look at that prodigal son as ourself in varying um, degrees. Now, I put this on PowerPoint. I don't know if you'll be able to see it because uh, there's too many words on it to perhaps totally read. But let's, if we can show that, that slide at this time. One thing you need to understand about the, uh, 
the prodigal son. And I got this from my Thompson Chain Bible. And at the back, they have a whole bunch of neat little things. But in the story of the, the uh, prodigal son in Luke 15, you'll notice that there's a step downward and then a step up. He goes from self-will to selfishness and then, you know, separation, sensuality, and then the spiritual destruction and, and all this. And then all of a sudden he hits bottom and he comes to himself and then all of a sudden it's a step up. You know, there's reconciliation, restoration, repentance, return, all of these things. And, and I have seen uh, a number of people who have had um, people in their lives who had just walked away from God who have utilized this as their, their prayer pattern in praying for those individuals. In other words, what they do is sometimes they pray them down before they pray them up. They say, God, allow the whole process to take place so that when they do come back, God, you have spoken to your heart and they know what it's like uh, to be away from you and to be found uh, by you. Um, but I have discovered, as I looked at this passage of Scripture, and as I've looked at my own life, and as I've talked with a number of people, that there are certain, what I will call entanglements. And I'm not going to get into all of them deeply, but what I want to do is perhaps plant some seeds that perhaps these are some things that have, you have noticed in your life as you have perhaps wandered away from the Lord or coming back or, or, or something that has, has taken place. And, and as God is convicting your life at this time, he's saying, yeah, that's me. This is, this is, this is where Satan is getting me. There are a number of entanglements. There's some things that, that are always seeming to be there that get in the way of our journey back to God, the comeback, as it were. The first one is what we will call the, um, the love of sin. Hey, you know, he went off to a far-off country. The Bible basically says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, that sin is pleasurable for a season. Someone said this, hey, if, if your sin is not pleasurable, the chances are you are doing it wrong. That there is something about sin that is something which feels good. And, and, but basically, Hebrews 11 is saying this, sin may be pleasurable, but eventually what it does is it leaves you hollow, it leaves you empty, it leaves you absolutely bankrupt. And we forget the potential of sin. Sin leaves you at a spiritual dead end and an ultimate dead end. Sin is so serious. Sin is so serious that it required the blood of God to eliminate it in our lives. I can't think of anything which is more powerful than that. That there is an eternal consequence to sin. And it's something that we don't play with. It's the thing that eternally separates us from God, And many times we have the, the thought in our head that I can hold on to my relationship with God and I can hold on to this sin. And sin basically is, is behavior and a lifestyle which offends God that in his word kind of shows us the, um, that we shouldn't be living. And you can't hold on to both. You can't, you can't coexist with God and sin in your life. And so it's this thing that entangles us. We'll call it like the the love of sin, which would kind of lead to another um, entanglement, which I will call the lightness of the situation. Yeah, we know that sin is there. We know that perhaps we're not where we need to be spiritually, but really, it's not that bad because we serve a loving God. And when we serve a loving God, he kind of has a, a way of saying, yeah, I know that you're terrible. Like a boys will be boys attitude towards sin and, and, and or girls will be girls attitude towards sin, whatever, whatever category um, you are in. 
And I know that God hates him, but God loves me. And despite the fact that that, that is there, eventually I know that I'm going to do something about it. But at this point, I kind of like the way I am, and it's not really serious. Besides, I know other people who, um, who are hugely into sin and are, are professing to know Jesus, and I'm a lot better off than they are. And perhaps the sin that they are involved in is a lot more egregious than the sin that I'm involved in. And I think that God kind of knows that. And so we make light of a situation which isn't very light. I remember talking to... Um, a young adult who was a friend of my daughter's and she was um, planning to get married and I knew that she was um, not really serving God, not really serving God the way she should have been. And she was wanting to get married to an individual who was a nice guy but really didn't want to have anything to do with God. And um, I remember the conversation distinctly. As I said, do you really want to tie yourself up with someone who really doesn't want to have anything to do with God when that is something which is so important for your life? And her response to me, I remember it clearly. This was a number of years ago. And she said, really, to be honest with you, Pastor Mike, um, at this point in my life, I'm not really interested in serving Jesus. I said, really? She says, yeah, at this point, I I don't really... I don't really have any interest in serving, serving God. And I said, okay, so basically what you're telling me then is if you leave this place right now and, and God forbid something terrible happens and you were to get in a car accident and all of a sudden you were to find yourself before God, that, that all of a sudden you would not be ready for eternity. She said, well, no, 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 I'm not saying that. I still love Jesus. And if something were to happen, I still believe that I would go to heaven. But you just told me that you are, you are not really interested in serving Jesus. Yeah, but I still believe that, that the fact that I don't want to serve him doesn't take away the fact that, that I still love him and I know that he loves me. And there's this loophole of grace that she was kind of feeling that she would be able to get through in. And I said, well, if that's the case, I kind of hope that you're right. I really do. But do you really want to gamble your soul on this? I'd like the lightness of the situation. Um, sometimes that becomes the entanglement that actually keeps us from saying, okay, God, I'm going to give you everything. Or just the lie, the lie of Satan, the half lies, the full lies that Satan will, will tell all the time. Uh, my lifestyle's too bad. I've made too many mistakes. I'm never good enough. People won't accept me. I have sinned too much. Um, I won't fit in. People will judge me. And it's the lie sometimes that just keeps us from actually returning home getting ourselves back to the place where God wants us to be. For those of you who are baseball fans, you'll, you'll sometimes see in a, in a situation where, where someone will hit a ball and they think that they can get a double, but on their way to second base, they realize they're not going to make it at time. And so all of a sudden, you got a person at second base waiting to tag you out. And so what do you do? Well, I'm going to run back to first base. And they throw the ball to first base. And you're running between first and second. And I think that that's a, a huge analogy when we're talking about the lie. Because it will be the lie that will cause you to be chased back and to chase forward. And stop and consider everything. The first thing you hear about the devil is that he's a liar, that he's a deceiver. Jesus says he is the father of lies. You will have to deal with a number of lies that simply are not true. Oh, people, people don't care for me. People, people will be embarrassed if I came back. And I say to them, well, okay, if that was the case, and you were in church and someone was coming back, would you feel that way about them? Of course not. Well, why do you think people would think that about you? Oh, I don't need, you know, the lie of this. I, I don't need people. Well, that is the furthest thing from the truth. 
the, the lie of Satan. Here's another one. Um, I'll call it this, the, the lock of smugness. Well, what's the lock of smugness? Well, it's that point where the power of pride becomes greater than the gift of grace. And you know you're away from God. You know you need to get back to him. But then pride in you just says, no, I'm going to kind of do it on my own. I'm going to have it my own way. I'm going to just, I'm just going to kind of do it on my own. And the Bible talks about the fact that at the end times, this is going to be a common thing. If you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses uh, 9 to 11, when it talks about the man of lawlessness is coming, it says that Satan will, with every kind of power and sign and false wonder, and every kind of wicked deception, direct against those who are perishing. And it says this, because they refuse to love the truth that would have Save them. So all of a sudden, there is this, this, this pride that wells up within us, and the pull of the pride, the current of the pride, pulls us away from the gift that God actually has that we can take to know him in a deeper way. The lock of smugness. The loneliness of, um, uh, the loneliness of segregation. You know what a great thing about this um, passage of Scripture was? Um, there's a time in, in Luke 15, chapter uh, 17, or chapter 15, verse 17, where um, the guy all of a sudden comes to himself. The, the, the prodigal comes to himself, and he says, what am I doing here? Can I go back? My, my father's hired hands make it a whole lot better than I am. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get up and I'm going to return and tell my dad, God, I'm not worthy to be your son, but at least you can hire me as a hired hand. Remember the story? Ask yourself this question. Who is he talking to? Who's the conversation with? The conversation is with himself. Because that's what sin does. That's what happens when we, when we are fading away from God it isn't, it isn't, a, it isn't a, a journey to more things and funner things. Basically, it is a journey to aloneness because that's what Satan will do. Satan will get you by yourself and he will attack you. The times when I have been the most alone have been the times when I have been most threatened to walk away from God. I feel so lonely. Nobody's around. Nobody has ever felt like this before. I'm the only one going through the situation that I'm presently going through. Have you ever heard that? Like those, are, those are statements that are made when Satan tries to separate you and then attack you. The, the loneliness of, of uh, segregation is another entanglement. Um, the lure of self-righteousness. Hey, weren't you saying something about smugness? Ah, no, but this one's a little bit different. The lure, the lure of self-righteousness is this. It's recognizing this about the, the, the parable of the, the prodigal. That the story is actually about two lost people. The one lost person kind of went off to a far country and came back. The other one was just as lost, but he just kind of stayed at home. And that really, if you take a look at that parable, that is actually what the story is about. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees who are sitting there and angry that he is associating with sinful people. 
This passage of scripture definitely has a lot of lineage as to what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, the religious people at that particular time. And Jesus understood something which is so true even today, is that this, you don't have to leave church to leave God. That there are many people who sit in our churches when our churches are actually allowed to be open. Um, there are many people who will sit in our churches and be just as far away from God as someone who is going to a bar on Saturday night. Because the truth is this. You will leave in your heart way before you leave with your feet. It's the truth. And sometimes the problem isn't that we think too lowly of ourselves. Perhaps the problem is that we think too highly of ourselves. That, hey, God and I, we have it together. I'm doing all these wonderful things. And, and before long, we are doing all these wonderful things. And we kind of leave God out of the equation. And perhaps Jesus' greatest frustration as he's telling this parable is this. I've got a bunch of people who want to return and they can't return because of a bunch of religious elitist people who will not come because of them. Is it any different today? Are there people who are in our community and people that are, are trying to get themselves back into a relationship with God, but they are afraid because of a hyper-spiritual bunch of people who think that they kind of have a corner on God? The lure of self-righteousness. Jesus talks about it all the time. He says, there's going to be people who say, I've done all these things, these wonderful things in your names, and Jesus is going to say, I didn't even know who you were. There's times where people are at an altar and say, God, I'm, I'm glad I'm not like this tax collector. Take a look at how evil he is, and here he is at the altar. I'm glad he's not he's more like me. This is seen throughout Scripture, the lure of self-righteousness. There's another entanglement, and we all know it. It's called the list of significant grievances. We all know somebody who has a list of significant grievances. I'm not coming to church. I used to come. I used to have this really great relationship with God until Sister Smith came and she said something about the, the height of my dresser. He said something about the fact that I, that I, I shouldn't be uh, wearing jeans in church. So they said something about, about this, and it hurt my feelings. And I said these things, and it may have been absolutely egregious or whatever it was that had happened. Now I'm not serving the Lord because of what somebody else said. Ah, oh, the pastor. <sighs> Let's not get into the pastor. Did you hear what he said? Did you hear the way he acted? you see the way he looks? I used to serve Jesus until the new pastor came in. I hope that's not you folks. Until the new pastor came in. I don't like the way he preached. I don't like the way he looked. I don't like the way he talked. I, I had a person who once left the church because I didn't say hi to them in the grocery store. I didn't even see them in the grocery store. They expected the Holy Spirit to tell them that they were in the grocery store. And for some reason, I didn't see them. And they left the church as a, as a result. The list of significant grievances. I, I don't like the doctrine of this church. I don't like about that little, that little minute part of the Bible I disagree with on. And as, as a result, I'm not really serving um, the Lord today. My mom turned me off. My dad turned me off. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. But despite your list of grievances, and some might be legitimate and some may not, you will still stand alone to be accountable to God. When you stand before God, you are not going to be accountable for their grievances. Thing is this, someone else's bad behavior is not a good excuse for you to reject the work that Christ has done for you. List of significant grievances. Here's the worst one. 
Here's the one that I worry about the most in people. It's called the loss of senses. What's the loss of senses? Basically, the loss of senses is this. There was one time when God spoke to you very deeply. There were times in services where God spoke to you and you responded. You found a place at the altar. You went and found time in prayer. You went before God because God was speaking to your heart. And somehow, in the drift away, you no longer say yes to God. And after a while, what happens is that the Holy Spirit continues to prompt you and you get to a point where you have a resistance, where you no longer feel bad, where you no longer feel the conviction. And it gets to the point where you just can't come back because the drawing is no longer there. If you read Hebrews chapter 5, um, chapter 5 and 6, it says, you know, there are those people who have tasted of the word of God and the powers of God coming and then have fallen away. He says, for those people who have done that, it's impossible for them to find their way back because, because there's nothing else to pay for the sins that they have. That the conviction all of a sudden goes, that the sense isn't there, that, that as God has spoken to their heart, they've said no so many times that a callous has come. Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, he says that their conscience is seared. They no longer have the feeling. They're no longer moved. The voice is not as strong. And soon they just begin to walk away. Entanglements. Man, there's so many. There's so many. Five years ago, I had a passionate time with the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And he said this, before revival, there has to be a return. And I asked myself, why is it that five years later, that same thing is pounding in my heart? Could it be that God could be calling us back to him? So like I was preparing, asking myself, what's the most effective, non-offensive way to approach this thing that doesn't have me speaking up here and you kind of feeling like you're down there? Um, you know, I could say things like, you know, you need to return to God spiritually because ultimately that's where there's more joy and, and that's where there's more peace. Or I could say, you know what, you need to return spiritually to God because you will miss out on all the benefits with passionately following Jesus. And they come as you passionately follow him with all of your heart. Or I could sit there and say this, there's a direct correlation between your distance from God and the presence of God in your life. You know, James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Well, doesn't it need seem to understand this to, to figure as well that if you draw away from God, he will draw away from you. Or I could just say this. You need to actually pursue the purpose of the one who created you because he created you for a purpose. They're all great reasons. But I can't get away from the fact that gambling with your soul is not worth it. As a matter of fact, it is stupid. And if you find yourself away from God, you are a fool to not come to him absolutely right away because it is the most important thing. But I want to be polite. I want to be Canadian. I don't want to offend anyone. But can I, can I risk offending you or sounding arrogant or sounding unloving or holier than you and not rightly say that I will love you and eliminate that from the truth of the gospel. 
can't say that I love you and take away from the fact that there's a reality of the situation that God is wanting us to actually return to him with all of our hearts. And if you're here and if you're listening and you're not serving him, you need to come to him today because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, behold, today is the day of salvation. And if you're away from God and you need to return to him, you need to return to him today without hesitation. And if you're listening and, you've re, and if you've given 95% of your heart to the Lord, dare I say this, you're not still serving him. He wants the full 100% because it's that 5% that's going to drag you into a lost eternity. And it's not something that we play games with, that God is calling us to return because heaven is too wonderful and hell is too real. I think Timothy had it right. Man, we can work out, we can do all these wonderful things, but ultimately the thing that was going to last forever is the spiritual. And that's not downplaying the physical. That's not downplaying every other area. I'm just saying this is the most important area. I heard a story of a, a pastor on holidays, and they're at this theme park in a restaurant, in this theme restaurant, where all they're showing is cartoons. You ever been in one of those uh, restaurants? And they're showing cartoons all over the place. And he said, I had a son that was um, four years old at the time, and he was watching a continuous run of the cartoon Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. Now, if you have not heard of Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner, hey, where have you been hiding the last number of years? Most of us know the story and the cartoons with, with, uh, with Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner and the, road, the, the Coyote's continually trying to, to catch this Roadrunner. And he's got rocket-powered roller skates and he has these great big slingshots and catapults and, and rockets that he's kind of inventing. And, and, and it's just futile attempt after futile attempt. And he said, my son, who's four years old at the time, basically looks and has this epiphany and he basically says this, no matter what he does, he's never going to catch the chicken. Never going to catch the chicken. Isn't that the human storyline? Many times we try and spend our whole life trying to capture something, but sin will always have its way. Sin will always beat us. It's no matter how many self-help books and so many promises that you make to yourself and whatever peace treaties we sign and whatever relief efforts we've launched, and you still can't fix what's wrong with the world. We can exercise right, we can eat right, we can do all of the things that we can to do to, to beat death, but ultimately, we need to allow God to have the things in our life that are pulling us back. I don't know kind of gave you eight entanglements, my chances are I'd probably hit you with one. And um, I'm going to let God deal with you whatever, whatever way he wants. But I just want to say this. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you can hand all that sin to him. You can know what it's like to know him personally. And basically, it's acknowledging the fact that you are a sinner and you've offended God by that sin, those actions, that lifestyle, and the thing that has kind of beat you down. What it is, is it's a free gift that God gives you by his grace. But the thing is, he paid his life on the cross for that. He died for your sins. And the process of having him forgive your sins is when you say, okay, God, here, here's my life. I come to you again. Forgive my sins. Come in. Be Lord of my life. I'm not going to be perfect. There's going to be times where I mess up and I fail. 
But right now, at this time, I'm giving you everything, and I'm going to give my life completely to you. And it kind of starts with a prayer that kind of says, God, thank you for loving me enough to die on the cross for my sins. I ask you to come in and be Lord of my life. Come in, be, be Lord, have every part of my life, and I'm going to serve you from now on. And if you pray that prayer and you honestly mean it, then it's a starting point for God to move. Hey, contact the church. Let us talk to you and, and allow the presence of God to, to move through those conversations. And, and I just lay that before you, asking that somehow for whatever person who is here, whatever category you are in, that God will minister to your life. Father, I pray for a spiritual comeback. I pray, Father, for whatever is in the way, whatever entanglement that we are in, whatever web we are caught in, Father, that we will break loose through the Holy Spirit right now in Jesus' name. Father, there may have been a lot of past, there may have been a lot of a lot of things that might be in the way, but Father, I realize, Father, that serving you for all the years that I have, that it's, it's one step back to you. And so for some people today, it might be that one step back to you. Saying, God, I want to come back. I want to know you more. I once knew you. I want to know you more. God, I'm stumbling all the time, but I, I give my life to you fresh and anew. God, move in a powerful way. Have your way in our lives, God. Because before you can actually revive us, Lord, I think it's going to be that one step that we move because, Lord, you did make the move on Calvary. Let's take that step closer to you so that you might work in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook. Thank you.